This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, we check back in with WPRI.com's Dan McGowan. All right, great to have Dan back at the loft. His appearance from earlier this year is one of the most popular episodes of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Not to mention he's one of my favorite characters working in the Rhode Island political media. So it only made sense to do a Rhode Island election preview episode with Mr. Providence himself. And uh, by the way, we may or may not get into a discussion about the creation of Rhode Island politics trading cards. Stick around. Be sure you're subscribed to the Bartholomew Town Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume content. You may also visit BartholomewTown.com or RIPodcast.com for all of my in-depth conversations with Rhode Island politicians, media members, artists, and beyond. Closing in on Election Day, let's get right to it then with WPRI.com's Dan McGowan. So here we are, a week out from the big day. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) (laughs) At last, I know. With uh, WPRI.com's Dan McGowan. Great to check back in, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's uh, let's start with, since you're Mr. Providence, let's start with the Providence mayoral race. Um, we had D.D. Whitman on here last week um, and getting good plays on our end. It seems like she's got signs up everywhere. Another uh, public sector endorsement came through last night for Miss Whitman. How does this race look? Because when we f- were first looking at this race earlier this year, it looked like there was a marginal Democratic primary, but now it's turned into something maybe a little more interesting in the general. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, it's something that's forcing Mayor Lorza to spend some money and work hard and uh, work certainly harder than he did in the primary where he, um, I think, knew having underfunded opponents and uh, with with low name recognition, I think he knew he could kind of skate by. Um, Dee Dee Whitman kind of snuck up on him, right? She jumped in at the very last second and has followed through on um, some of the the you know big splashy promises she made initially, the biggest one being she said she'd put in five hundred thousand dollars. People said, "Oh, I don't think she'll ever actually do it." Well, she did. They said, "Oh, I don't think she'll spend it." Well, she is spending it. Um, she's also got you know two hundred thousand dollars behind her in a uh, a super PAC, which you know is supposed to be separate from her. But there's real money going into real on-air commercials that people are seeing, and so um, I think she's at least making it somewhat interesting. Um, It's not an easy battle, though. She's got a lot of things running against her, um, including, you know, being an independent in a Democratic year um, in a city that overwhelmingly votes for Democrats. Uh, She's got a a challenge. She's got to overcome that buddy factor. You guys talked about a lot about that on your podcast. you know, you know, that's that's not going to be easy. Just wait until I would imagine we're a week out. We're taping this on a Tuesday. You're going to see a mailer go out to the east side at some point that shows Dee Dee Whitman and a dark buddy Cianci, uh, and if it hasn't gone out already. And so, you know, you, you, people will be reminded uh, and that's that's so. So it makes it uh, more difficult for her. Yeah, for sure. And there's there's kind of as I alluded to in that episode, there's kind of two waves of the buddy perspective i guess there's people who grew up in rhode island and are you know our general age group 30s Mm -hmm. and remember providence kind of in the most grimy pre-providence place 
pre-Water Place Park days, and, and I know my parents, they would let me go see shows in New York and, and Boston or whatever. They would never let me just drop me <laughs> off to go to Lupo's, you know? So, but to see that transformation and understand also, the not to defend the, the antics, but the mechanics of government aren't always that pretty. So, you know, you have a new wave of people who are in Providence now who are vehemently anti-Ciency who didn't really experience what the, you know the the positive side of the CNC administration. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, for in my case, I'm that person, right? I'm 32, and and uh, I think the last time I was on, I was 31. So I'm getting older. Oh. But <laughs> Happy belated. The, thank you. The um, you know, I got here while Buddy was still in prison, and. Um, and so I came here experiencing a city that was completely different than what probably you experienced as a kid. I, I looked at a thriving city, at a city that I liked to go downtown and be able to go to Lupo's or um, you know, certainly be able to go out into restaurants and things like that. Um, I benefited from all of the things that happened in the 90s and the earlier 2000s. Um, and, and then um, so I think you're right. And I think what you do see, um, and this is going to be a challenge for, for Ms. Whitman. So. You know, the she's also aside from following the um, aside from having the the buddy kind of stigma attached to her, which is probably unfair, but at least it's a relevant point. And she defended it to you, and, and you know all that stuff. Her the 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 race that she's running appears to be very similar to the one that that uh, the path that that buddy tried to follow, which is you try to. Um, not get completely blown out on the east side and then win the rest of the city. Um, And and that seems to be her strategy. If you talk to people on her team, they say, you know, well, the path to victory is we split the east side and we win the rest of the city. The challenge with that is that that's like saying – if the Patriots just don't have Tom Brady, then the Bills would be a good, you know, team. <laughs> yeah, last right. night on Monday Night Football, right? the The East Side is a stronghold for Mayor Lorza. He is. I think there. I, I've I've written about this, but I think there are forty or forty two East Side precincts. The mayor's been on the ballot three times. He's won forty out of forty two uh, precincts. So uh, I, I should say that's over the three. Uh, he he never. Uh, he's never shown weakness over there. And so, uh, yes, Dee Dee Whitman is from the east side. Check. That works. That's, that yeah. helps. But, um, you know, you've got all of the elected officials over there are supporting Marilorza. You've got, um, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, his sort of already uh, being present and, and, and having good relationships over there. I mean, um, it's going to be hard for her to for 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 Didi to um, to come close over there. I, I think people are going to be really surprised by the numbers coming out of the East Side. Um, now, if she were to split the East Side or get very close, let's say within five hundred or a thousand votes, yeah, there's a path to victory. The rest of the city that that's real. Yep. It's just asking a ton to be able to win or come close on the East Side for her. Yeah, that's really ground zero for. All Providence mayoral races, but especially when you have the roots that Jorge Alorza does and the infrastructure at this point in yeah, the relationships. You know, it's 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 just really difficult to, to overcome that. And I think, um, you know, what the mayor has uh, has struggled with. He, he remember he he won the east side in his primary uh, in 14 and the general by big, big margins and then lost the rest of the city. He lost the rest of the city to Mike Solomon. He lost the rest of the city to Buddy Cianci. There's an 
an argument that he could lose the city again here. The only thing is he's had four years to be mayor. You know, he needs to a place where there are a lot of votes is the Mount Pleasant Elmhurst area where I live. Um, Dee Dee Whitman needs to make a huge impact over there. I don't know that I see it. Again, I'm not ruling it out that she could win over there, but he has made more inroads over there than than he had before when he'd probably never really been to Mount Pleasant, right, uh, yeah. you know, as a ju- as a housing court judge. Right, absolutely. And then of course, the question of how much will the Kobe Dennis and uh, Robert DeRobio endorsements or support uh, behind the Whitman campaign influence the rest of the city, if you will. Certainly not going to crack the east side very much, but is, will that help if she is able to find a way to split the east side? Will that help push her in, into victory? Yeah, I, I think it can. Um, I, you know, Kobe uh, Dennis was incredibly impressive. He did much better than I thought he would do in the in the primary, yep. getting over twenty percent of the vote, yeah, finishing 5, second votes. Right? Yeah, Plus, he, he yeah. did well, and he won certain little pockets. He won the Chad Brown area. He won a couple of South Side places. Um, he he did very well. I think he actually set himself up really nicely for twenty two, which I believe he's already said he's going to run. And um, you know, if you have a six or seven way Democratic primary, you know, here's a guy who. Um, who had all things against him in this last primary, you know, had no money, <clears throat> had no organization, had very little organization, still managed to get over 20% of the vote. I think he's in, in good shape. Does that necessarily translate? I don't know that the, you know, Kobe can just sprinkle like his, uh, his support onto someone else and, and right. that's going to translate. I don't know that that will work, but I think it could, you know, it could make a difference. Certainly, you know, when Kobe's coming in and sort of like co-signing your campaign, you're, you know, there are certain people who I think in certain rooms and certain neighborhoods that um, potentially uh, they may vote for, for her. But um, I think what he did was what was, more impressive for him was, was for himself. I think his his primary um, beating Derobio and, um, and and you know I think he set himself up really good. Absolutely, and, and anecdotally, I've also heard since the primary his you know his presence as a community leader has also increased. You know, mm-hmm. it, it impressed the community around him, and and he's got maybe even stronger organization for in terms of just grassroots around him at this point yeah yeah what he what his challenge is now going to be if he if he's serious and wants to be the mayor four years from now or wants to make a real run is is going to be um getting the campaign organization behind him so you know he showed he could get 20 percent of the vote more more than that so that's that's great now what he needs to do is keep those people he needs to get people around him who who understand how to target voters and how to really connect with people to make sure he holds on to those people. Um, that's what he needs to do. Obviously, he needs to expand his base. Um, he, he didn't have that. He didn't have a, t- a major organization behind him. Um, part of that's money, but part of it is just the experience of doing it for the first time. Now, when he does it again, he's going to know, all right, I, I need to do your podcast. I need to probably do, you know, more media. I need to make sure I'm out there more with my plans, things like that. Cause that, that was his challenge. He, right. he, he was known in the community and he's, you know, had a social media presence, but he didn't, there was nothing he proposed that was, um, that, that anyone can really remember. There wasn't, he didn't have a lot of press conferences. He tried right. to really kind of build it from the ground up. Now he needs to take that next step. And, and he, I think he can be competitive. I'm not saying he's going to win. Um, you know, there, there's lots of factors four years from now that that will play into it but i think he uh he starts in a better place than um than a lot of people 
Yeah, yeah. I agree completely. Um, and then, of course, the big question, kind of wrapping up the mayor, uh, the mayoral race, will be: Are the people who are um, experiencing the least amount of benefit from city growth or hurt by things that are happening in the city, whether it's nat- it's a national grid or now we see uh, in Washington Park with this uh, Richard Gardner example, whatever it is, whatever <clears throat> the most um, uh, seemingly uh, harmed people in the city, the most maligned people, will they actually vote? That would be the other question, too. Well- Excuse me. Sorry. That's always the question. It's always the question on uh, for lots of reasons, whether there is a major thing happening in, uh, say, Washington Park, for example, or not. Um, And so, um, you know, will will they vote? Well, here's the thing. You've got a um, you've got a governor's race where the governor is going to really want to kick up turnout in Providence. So there's going to be a push there. Um, you you have a mayor's race that is competitive, but it's not quite the Buddy CNC like hot race that it was four years ago. So, you know, is there going to be is there going to be a ton of turnout from that? I'm not sure. If you look at the mail ballot numbers this year compared to 2014, they're actually much lower, um, it, it, which is a sign that maybe there's a little bit more apathy this time around. Um, there's a there is a city council race in Washington Park. Um, uh, Luis Aponte is facing uh, Russ Hershey. Um, and that, so that's a real ra- potentially a real race. So I think you'll see my, my gut is you won't see a major turnout just because of kind of some of the more pressing issues. Unfortunately, um, I, I think if you do, it's going to be because of like organization from the campaigns that will, will, will make that happen. Yeah. And broadly speaking, the city council heading without, you know, the insertion of some uh, kind of write in campaign or somehow there being a collapse of some, or somehow, you know, just everything blowing up between now and election day, there'll be a majority female city council when we uh, when the new council begins in 2019. So, um, what does that say about the city? I mean, I think that that that's something that you know I've been on as a caller. I've called in to the the talk radio station here in Providence and argued with you know several of the hosts that that that's an actually significant um, achievement. You know, what it's been dismissed. Um, by a lot of people at the same time, Providence Monthly has it on the cover yeah. this month. So, where does it, that sit? It is significant. I mean, it, it, it's a Providence is a real city, a capital city with 180,000 people in it, and it's going to have a majority female council. There's not a lot of cities in the country that have a majority female council. A lot of big cities, certainly. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a it's an impressive accomplishment. What's impressive most about uh, this group of, of eight women, and we should say the only one that has a compa- or a, a general election race is Carmen Castillo in Ward 9. She's facing Gerard Catala. Um, she would be, I would imagine, a heavy favorite over there, but right. you never know. And there were some um, issues with uh, Gerard Catilla's, um residency or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I can there, vaguely remember this. There was an issue where um, I believe... Councilman Castillo challenged his residency because he had a fire um, at his place, and um, and so he he says he's rehabbing it, and um, and he's been allowed to have his name on the ballot, so he's he's been cleared of that uh, charge. Is not exactly what it's called, but um, <laughs> and so he's allowed to run. Um, my gut is that 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 Carmen certainly has the organization with hotel workers behind her and things like that. Um, it seems very likely we will have a majority female council, and what is I think the most impressive thing about that 
um, is not about necessarily the you know the fact that it's going to be eight women there. It's if you look at the council women who are going to be there, you've got this great, really reflective group uh, that that's very reflective of the city of Providence. If you think about it, if you just go up and down, you know you've got from the uh, on the young side, Kat Kerwin's you know going to be um, you know she's she's a state house lobbyist, really you know focused on gun type issues, but she's energetic. She's going to be one of the youngest council members ever. Um, when you look at the re- at the rest, you know you, some of the new people. Helen Anthony comes from the east side. She's going to be, um, you know, I think well versed to kind of step in. And she's already been a councilor in Columbia, Missouri. She's ready to go. Um, Nirva LaFortune's, you know, a, a rock star in a lot of ways, and people really think that she could be potentially the mayor someday. So you've got her. Um, you know, uh, Rachel Miller and uh, Mary Kay Harris. Uh, Mary Kay's been there for for four years now. Are two? They come. From from the the real like uh, on the ground activism uh, world, um, these are people who have been involved with Dare and these groups for a long time, um, so they know what they're doing. You know, Joanne Ryan, who's my councilwoman, got reelected, and a lot of people thought, oh, she's got a big problem. She won. She overwhelmingly defeated uh, both Aaron Janig uh, and Stephen Cianci. Um, and then you've got, uh, so, you know, Sabina Matos, who is going to be, who at least as of, as of this recording appears likely to be the next council president. Um, right. This group is just is really reflect. Carmen Castillo is a, one of the first housekeepers in the country to be sit, holding elected office. They represent Providence really well, whether they're men or women. This is just a really good group of people who who have a lot of diverse, you know, opinions and and can really bring something to that council. Um, I, I will say t- to. Uh, be very clear though <clears throat> people I think are missing this maybe um, these this will not be eight women voting as a block um, in fact the race for council president right now is is largely split uh, with four behind um, Sabina Matos including Sabina um, and then four looking another way the for a long time it, it looked like it was near La Fortune who people wanted it looks like Sabina is going to overcome that. Um, and so who knows how people will vote when it comes time to vote. But um, this will not be just a, you know, everyone's going to vote together because we're women thing. These are uh, people with their own opinions and, and um, very, very different views from how, like on how the city works. So that's something to keep, uh, keep an eye on. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point <clears throat> because we've seen so much of the identity politics drawing circles around people ex-candidates progressive ex-candidates mm-hmm. a trump trumpian uh whatever maniac and and it's really in many cases especially in rhode island it seems if when you look at the republican party and the democratic party and the the characters that are yeah. in each of those parties um a lot of times it's not what you'd expect at first glance based on i quote unquote the identity of the candidate or elected that's right and in the more local you get the the more it's unexpected right this is providence uh, the providence city council is about relationships that these guys in many cases have had for many, many years. And there's a reason why, uh, and I've reported on this, that the East Side has never had a city council president before. They can always elect the mayor uh, or always play a role in electing the mayor. They've never had a city council president. Why? Because there's three of them and then there's 12 the rest of the city. And, you know, I remember John Lombardi, the former council president, former acting mayor, now state representative, um, said to me, he said, you know, I grew up with Nick Narducci and I've known this one for a long time and we played basketball together. And suddenly you have five or six people who 
are just your friends that are on the city council. Um, I think the, the one, because they're all Democrats, like it starts fine. It starts from a place of not having many, uh, you know, Republican or conservative views. So it's, so that's true. But, you know, if you're from if you're the if you're Helen Anthony on the east side, you're representing a you know, you're representing Barrington compared to uh, Louisa Ponte in Washington Park, right? It's, right. A, it's a completely different world. And so those things become real factors. And that's where that's the debates that, that end up playing out when, you know, when there's development that's being pushed by, you know, one group of council members, whether it's tax breaks or just big projects like the Fane Pro- Tower, for example, um, you know, there's there's what you know, your own constituents want. And then you've got other people who have no say, you know, or have no, you know, maybe a project's not happening in their neighborhood, but they're saying this is going to create jobs for my constituents. This is, you know, for whatever reason they're supporting it. So the more local you get, the more it becomes um, uh, about relationships and about how it's going to benefit your your constituents far more so than the party politics. You don't see that really yet. I mean, you know, there there are so many different factions depending on the issue on the city council that it changes almost day to day. Yeah. Well, we're lucky to have you in Providence because if you if you read critically your work, you can develop and start to understand who the people are and what they're <laughs> about. But, you know, I think that by and large, you know, in a lot of communities, you'd have to even if you made flashcards and said, all right, here's X person. Here's their positions <laughs> on whatever wedge issues. Here's their specific positions on school bonds, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I don't even know that people would read the entire card. And that's what makes me you know, dismayed, if you will, as you look at an election is, is you have people with ideas. And a lot of times no one's voting on that. They're voting on a name mm-hmm. or just the way someone looks. Still, yeah, this you know? goes, yeah, no, I think that's, that's <laughs> definitely a real thing. And I should say, you know, while and I appreciate your kind words, I mean, I'm, I'm under no illusions that people, even in Providence, even people who really enjoy reading, you know, my content, I know that they make decisions not necessarily based on everything I write, things like that. One thing I think this brings brings back to, uh, you know, almost a journalistic conversation is I really think we need to do a better job of, especially in the smaller communities, of going back to sort of the very basics and literally telling people, like, here's who your council members are um, and and giving the breakdown. Now, the, the, the key is, though, is... You know, you can't work for the Providence Journal and not cover, let's say, Barrington mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, for a year and then pop in and do, you know, a, a, a really auth- um, authoritative profile on each member of the council there. Yep. Um, I do think people would read it, though. And I think you see this a little bit, you know, um, East Greenwich um, has a, a, a Elizabeth McNamara who, who covers the East Greenwich very closely. And I think she does a really good job of catching kind of what that council uh, makeup is. And in my case, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I did a story. Um, it, it was very basic, but it, it actually did quite well. Um, I just gave people like a, you know, bullet point breakdown of who the the city council finance committee who sits on the on the finance committee and the reason being is that's the committee that really decides the budget and they're the real the most active committee and you know i just gave the breakdown and but luckily i could do it in a way that says here's who they are they're you know 
this one's an attorney, this one works for the state, but also I could give you the like two sentence kind of breakdown of the personality. You know, right, this right. one's aggressive, this one's passive, this whatever. And it actually did quite well and people were were pleased with it because they said like, "Oh, I never even thought about like, oh, that that five member committee is far more influential than the 15 people at large and far more influential than the mayor when it comes to the budget Absolutely process. Absolutely right. Um, and so I think we need to do a, a, a almost a, a back-to-basics kind of thing in journalism where we are telling people, here's what, um, you know, here's who these these local elected people are. We just did the at the state house too, just like here's you know not just how they vote, but here's how they act. Here's what they've been involved in. Here's what their family looks like. Not you know lots of things, um, and it, it, I recognize it's hard. Newsrooms are dwindling, things like that. You know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that in Providence. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I, I kind of wish we could do that everywhere because I, I even when I, even as a you know active news consumer, you know when I'm seeing an issue in Cranston, so you know for example, I want to know. Oh, why does that council member vote that way? Right. Why, why, you know, what's what's behind it? Is it because of where they live? Is it, be, you know, what's going on there? I always like those stories, and I think they really help, especially come election time. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, I've, I've been wanting this year. I've been thinking, man, wouldn't it be awesome if we had Rhode Island politics baseball cards? You know, you can rip them open, and it's got the photo, and it's like <laughs> all the stats like you described yeah. there. You know what I mean? And there's like special edition medium Ian Donis like eating a hot dog at Fenway Park or whatever. You know what I mean? Whatever special hey, edition. You, if you take that up, I would like to be involved in I it because that's actually that. a great idea. Should, yeah, I, anyone out there with, with, with money, send it, to, <laughs> yeah. send it this way. We'll, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll print them. No, I think it's really important. And it's, it's, it, and it's also it's, it's like that's content that matters. Actually, it, I think what you do is, is really important when you're having candidates or, or you know, elected officials on you know, to have that sort of long-form conversation where you can learn about the person and learn about their views, but also just – you know, get to hear the person in a way that's not necessarily commercially interrupted or, um, or you know, they're going to let their guard down a little bit. Um, I think that's the more of that, the better, the more people are going to be informed. I appreciate that a lot. And I agree. It's when they let their guard down that the interviews become the most interesting or the most revealing mm-hmm. is are those moments where you can kind of peek into their soul a little bit. You yeah. know what I mean? And, re- and that's when you know, all right, if you're a governor, something happens like a station fire mm-hmm. something of that nature how do you react how right. do you how do you deal with people and, yeah. and manage a situation because that's something that at the gubernatorial level with all the debates with everything that's gone on there's been a lot of criticism of people's go- candidates or the governor's managerial style but not necessarily a lot of conversation about well how would you react in x situation what yeah. if you know something nutty happened and there right. was some kind of rebellion uh, you know I, I think or whatever one of, one of the major the major challenges i think for all um challengers this year uh whether it's at the in the governor's race or certainly in providence we saw this is when you're when you're running for an open seat like in 14, 2014 you um everyone kind of gets to throw shit at the wall, right? right. Everyone's got ideas, yeah. everyone. And, and there's really no one to, I remember, I'll never forget in 2014 when it was like at the peak of the like democratic primary, there was like seven candidates and everybody had right. an idea for everything. And I remember Angel Tavares, who was the sitting mayor who was running for governor at the time, uh, just like mentioning in passing to me, 
ever ask them how they're going to pay for any of this? And, and it was like, a, it was just a little bit of a, a shot at them because it was like, yep. he, he was saying, I'm, I'm sitting up here. I know, like, I've tried that idea. That one's too expensive or that one yep. doesn't work. And, and I think you saw that in the governor's race four years ago. The challenge when you're running against an incumbent is the, you're, you know, you're almost, you have to attack you know, you have to say, Governor screwed up UHEP, and the mayor in his, you know, uh, he, he can't get the teacher's contract done or whatever, and you never actually get to your own issues. I think Alan Fung has tried to do that, but I mean, if you think about in the primary, he, he was non-existent, right? He didn't right. do any media interviews. He had very few press conferences. Um, it was not at all about you know, here's my vision for the state of Rhode Island. Again, that's changed a little bit in the general election. But when when you're when you're running against an incumbent, so much of it is reflective of the incumbent. And then the incumbent doesn't have a ton of incentives to um, to really pitch new ideas because it's like, you know, you now, you know, now, now like the secrets yeah. out that like, oh, we can't really do that. I know I promised that I was going to try this, but but it doesn't actually work or it's too expensive or any of these other things. Yeah. You, it becomes. Um, it becomes much more much more difficult, and so you're you're defending your record. Maybe you know in the governor's case, she's talked about expanding, um, you know the the Rhode promise thing and stuff like that. And those are things that that you you can kind of propose, but but mostly it's defending your own record and then you know trying to explain to the voters why the other guy or the other guys are not uh, qualified to be to hold the office. Absolutely, and with the budget that the governor's been able to put together for this year, I mean they've done a really good job. I think at both of those. Both sides of the coin with their ads, certainly the attack ad, the brand, you yeah. know, who is Matt Brown, right. a failed politician. You, you should know, do ads. Yeah. You have a good voice. There you should is, do yeah, that. Bring it on. Time. Let's go. Once again, let's send it over here. I'm always trying <laughs> yeah. to find new uh, str- revenue streams. Really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly need it. Um, but it's it's interesting. The, the machine is in place. And, and on, on the Raimondo side, you get the sense that they're obviously pumping out both ends of the spectrum. But, um, you know, the other candidates, all five. Five of them are just clawing away, and and particularly with Fung, it's just it feels like a negative campaign, even with his, um, you know, good guy kind of vibe that he yeah. puts off. Yeah, so. I mean, I think, and I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm no campaign operative. I, I could count votes in Providence, but I, I, so I don't know what people tell you. You know, what what your consultants are telling you to say and do, and things like that. It's hard to run a campaign of ideas. You know, Matt Brown found that out, right? Matt Brown did try to yeah. run a campaign of ideas, and he got crushed in, yeah. a, in a primary. Um, now, he was running against a, you know, there were lots of reasons. It wasn't just because he ran, you know, he, he didn't go as negative as he needed to or anything like that. There were lots of reasons why he wasn't going to win that race. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do think you, you you have to bring people's negatives up. You have to, you know, kind of bring their them them down in a lot of ways. Um, and so I understand it, but uh, it, it is way different than when when you have an open race where everyone can can run on ideas, and you know, you, you as a voter can kind of uh, can evaluate based on I like that idea, I don't like that idea. You know, when you're going into the polls now, you're gonna say. Um, I like the direction that Mayor Lorza is taking the city, or I don't. And I'm going to vote for Dee Dee Whitman, right? Like right. you're not you're not thinking about it as equals uh, with ideas. It's just it's a referendum on the incumbent yep. always, you know. Yep. 
Yeah, that's critical, and that's that's what's probably shaping why some people are thinking this election is a little boring. I've mm-hmm. heard of that commentary as well. So yeah, it, I mean, it know. kind of is in, in some ways. I mean. You know, we say it's boring, and then it's, uh, and then we complain when everybody's having a press release for or a press conference for every announcement that they have. So, yeah. you know, we're we're always going to be like stodgy and and think things are boring. Um, yeah. This race, that you know, we just put out a poll on Monday and and in the governor's race and in uh, the governor's up about eleven points, um, and that seems to be uh, you know from everything we hear that seems to be consistent with what people are, are saying with internal polls and other places. Um, you know, it's, it's still for me, I, I don't, I wouldn't write it off. Who knows what can happen? Um, it does seem like the governor's in a really good place to win, but you know, anything can happen the last week and who knows, maybe we're, you know, maybe we're missing voters. Maybe we're, we're missing certain things. Um, and so, uh, you still could have a real interest on election night. I think people will still tune in to, uh, to 12 on, uh, when the polls close to see what's happening. I believe they will be. (laughs) No doubt about it. I hope. (laughs) Um, last area, you know, you've, um, you'd be in the, I don't know how to phrase this other than just say the younger reporters around the younger members of the media around here. You're at the forefront of that for sure in general. And this election cycle has, you know, an election cycle is obviously a good time to be involved in politics and political media because you're getting more attention. It's just like W.E.E.I. people listen, you know, last week because of the World Series, you know what I mean? And then immediately turn it off until next (laughs) in October. But, um, you know, but but this year, do you feel like your audience has grown significantly, not just in the numbers, but in the number of people that are daily, Mm -hmm. you know, that that read you as as a as a as much as they would someone might watch Channel 10. Have you become more of a, a reliable news source for more people? I think so. Um, I, I think that, that you and I talked about this last time I was on, um, the, you know, the, the more people kind of can see that you're uh, reliable, right, and, and, and somebody that, that they can trust and that is getting, you know, the reporting both accurate and also interesting, um, I think you do, uh, you, you, you gain that audience. My job is to hold it, right, and, and, I, and there's a reason why, you know, you won't find very many days where I don't publish at least something, and the reason being is, like, I fully believe that I want to be um, I want to be habitual. I want people to always know that they can rely on me as a, as a reporter. Um, and the key, you're, you just nailed it. I mean, the key is the off season that I need people to be interested, right? I right. need people to, after, you know, after November 6th, um, I, I want people to stick with me because they care about the city and because they know that I'm the person that, um, that, you know, tries to lead the way in covering it. I think that, um, I think they will, I mean, you know, so if, if, if you look at 2014, is like a really early time for me on the scene, and, and um, certainly the audience grew over the last four years uh, really uh, exponentially. And you know I'm going to be at Channel 12 for the next couple of years at least. And so you know you hope that um, you hope that people will stick with you as long as I'm providing. Um, I think original and um, and original content, but also you know explaining to people that like this is the only place you're going to get it because i promise you there's nobody else sitting in those three hour meetings in city hall you know at six o'clock at night um and so as long as i'm there and as long as i'm you know 
continuing to sort of hold, uh, you know, uphold the um, the standards that we have at Channel 12, I think that 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 will work, um, and it helps. You know, like we just talked about a little while ago being able to think outside the box and how to explain to people, um, you know, here's what's happening, here's who are making the decisions, all those things. And, you know, the the bridge here will get, uh, will, will be interesting. You'll see, I would imagine by early 2020, uh, maybe mid-2020, you'll start to see six, eight, ten candidates emerged to run for mayor in 22. So I'll have like a, almost a shortened off season because right. you'll, you know, you'll get through 2019 and, and who knows, you know, I'm sure there'll be some major issue that happens, but there won't be politics, but you'll be right back into the mix on who's going to run for office. And so um, that 2022 uh, will be really, will be really fun to, uh, to cover. So I think I'll be able, I hope I'll be able to hold an audience. Yeah. 2022 is I heard someone say this on a lively experiment, so I, but the pointing that you know there is I can't remember who said it, but that 2022 in many ways is more exciting than the election that's a week from yeah. now. Um, you know, I've heard names like Bob Flanders, Aaron Regenberg, Corey Alorza, mm-hmm. um, Nelly Gorbia. There's all kinds of yeah. I mean, if you D- think Dan about for, if you think about governor, you're going to have just think about the way it's going to work, right? Dan McKee is going to be term limited as lieutenant governor. Nelly Gorbea is going to be term limited at secretary of state. Seth Magaziner is going to be term limited at treasurer, right? right. So you've uh, presumably all of them will be uh, potentially will be candidates for some other office. Mayor Lorza, um, if he's reelected this year, he's going to be term limited. He's going to want to do something else, and he's going to have a lot of seemingly a lot of money in the bank. Um, so you know, you're talking major people right now that could. You know, by the way, everyone, and I think you've had Peter Nerona. Have you had yes. Peter? Yeah, yep. Peter uh, Nerona is like the quiet star right now. Guy right. doesn't have to face a, a real serious election in the general. Uh, didn't face a primary, and you don't think Alan Gordon's going to knock him off? It might be. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be Alan's time this this time around. Uh, and and you know, I think Nerona uh, is. If you talk to a lot, especially a lot of the like the ingrained like institutional democrats right now they're all saying watch out for Nerona he's going to be impressive now being AG's hard who knows maybe he's a complete failure that could right. happen it's his first time out but if he avoids controversy if he continues to keep his sort of reputation as being somebody who can take down and hold elected officials accountable he he would be a credible candidate and then you know the thing is it sets off if if all these guys run for governor, well, then is Mayor Diosa in Central Falls going to run for Secretary of State? Who's going right. to run for LG? And you're going to have a mayor's race where potentially you could have, I mean, you're going to have, I would bet that you'll have 10, 15 people who at least flirt with the idea. You've got, you know, a third of the council that wants to run. You're going to have an Aaron Regenberg potentially who showed you a path to victory in Providence in his lieutenant governor's race. Yep. So, um, you, you know, you'll have a, a, a bunch of candidates. Maybe Brett Smiley comes back. Maybe Mike Solomon comes back. You know, you're going to have a bunch of people in Nirva LaFortune who I, I think is uh, going to be a real darling for to a lot of people. She may um, be a real candidate. Sabina Matos, if she's the council president, if you're the council president, you're a contender to be the mayor, um, you know, unless you have some sort of trouble as the council president, you don't get indicted or something. Um, and so 2022 is really interesting. And we're going to have to, um, you know, be, uh, we're going to have to cover that horse race right away. And, you know, we all kind of roll our eyes at it. But, you know, the first time that I read a story that says, here's the 15 people that might run for mayor, I promise you everybody's going to be interested. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but until then, we have one week from today. Uh, 
that's that's it and then we can we can call it a call it a season i guess yeah, yeah thank um, god <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it has been for me personally it's been um it's been you know you mentioned that being compelled to write or produce content usually every day you know i agree with that i feel that drive it feels like there's a an intangible element at play right now. Yeah, well, you know? I learned I learned this, and we talked about this when you and I talked last time. Um, you know, I I got my start at Go Local Prov, and the the Josh Fenton, who was the the CEO there, you know, was uh, just could not beat it into me harder that we are fighting every single day for readership. Um, and that means that every day when you ha- your big story, your you know lead story needs to be compelling because we want people to stick with us. We want to gain new audience. And that um, that fear and that that pressure has always stuck with me. I feel that way constantly. There's no time where I'm, um, you know, where I'm thinking, oh, well, everybody, you know, everybody already reads me or, or uh, you know, oh, I don't need to do that story. I never feel that way. I'm right. always thinking I need to be on top of things. I need to be first. I need to be best. Um, and that's the competitive edge and competitive drive that I have. But I think it matters. And I think we're all looking. You're in this great case. You've been doing so much, you know, m- so much more content than when you first started. And I think it's like. I want to grab an audience. I think you do too. And and the best way to do that is to continuously put out good quality content. Yeah, it's it's not rocket science, but it takes a lot of work. Yeah, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Dan McGowan, WPRI.com. Any uh, final words to the before the the masses hit the polls? God, I got nothing. <laughs> I just <laughs> I uh, I hope we see a good turnout. I I do. I hope people. Um, you know, uh, show up. I think voting is one. It's fun, but I, I like when you know. I like to see numbers go up. It's never a good sign when, when our when when the you know turnout is lower than it was two or four years ago. It'll be lower than two right. years ago because it was the presidential. But um, I hope people. I hope people turn out and vote. And I hope. Um, I hope we start those playing cards. Of, I was just uh, gonna say <laughs> we gotta get that going. I can't wait to rip them open. John Hayes and White. That's let's, right. Let's see it. I see him in the gym sometimes. Maybe I'll. Uh, <laughs> I'll ask him. <laughs> he can have his own card. It can be like a silver hologram edition yeah (laughs) ultra (laughs) absolutely as always thank you for listening to the bartholomew town podcast until next time i'm bill bartholomew we'll talk soon 